Uh, so Matt, thank you for, uh, thank you for being here for agreeing to this interview. Sure. Thanks for having me. Are you aware that we've met before? Uh, I guess not. You mean in person or online? In person. I'm going when to, was that? I'm going to send you a message through the chat so you can see a picture of us. Um, a few years ago, I was passing through Montana, on my motorcycle and, uh, we went out for beers. Oh yeah. I remember. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, ca Canadian. God, this guy, was a little uh, while ago. That's why, that's why it's hard for me to remember. This must've been, when was this like 2017, maybe 2017, 2018, something to that effect. Yeah. 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 Um, I, you know, I want to say that was a really great experience for me. And, uh, for me up until that point, most of my experience on the internet was sort of an exercise of don't meet your heroes, you know, like Twitter comes out and all the bands that I liked when I was younger, I discovered that they're not very intelligent people. And oh, it's the worst. I, 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 I've had to unfollow almost every musical act act I've ever enjoyed mm -hmm. because, uh, yeah, it's like they have to shove your, their politics in your face. I, I don't care. Make a cool song and get back to me when you do. Instead, they're totally. telling me to vote for Biden and stuff. Totally, totally. Yeah. And yeah. you were kind of the first instance where it was like there was this person that I had seen who, you know, I was I was watching his content and I had the opportunity to meet him. And it's like, wow, this is actually a really down to earth person. This is a reasonable guy. And uh, yeah, I, I remember I, I, I remember we talked at 317 for God, it must have been like an hour or two. It was a good long time. Yeah. Yeah, it was probably. Uh, was it just me, or was I by my? Was I by myself, or did I have someone with me? It was just. It was just you, and then as I was leaving, some of your friends arrived. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I, I can remember being there. I just don't remember that much about what we talked about, but I remember being there. Yeah, I think we kind of just like caught up on our each of our lives. We kind of explained a little bit yeah. where we were coming from, and. Because yeah, you were doing some crazy travel thing or something. You were yeah, I was just road tripping around in my motorcycle. I was that's right. I felt cooped up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so for our conversation today, um, I wanted to do kind of like a brief retrospective of of your career on YouTube. Okay. Um, and also, uh, I'm I'm currently in the process of being canceled um, from government work, and I have some okay. insights about the process that I would like to bounce off of you because. I think I'm kind of the first one to be unearthing some of these things. I want to hear what your opinions are about them. Sure. Um, and then finally, if we have time, I have a bunch of kind of like rapid fire questions that I want to want to see how they land against you. Okay, sure. Cool. Um, so first of all, if I, if I look over your career, as far as I know, it starts with, um, it starts with Skag3, whoever he is. Uh, kind of. Yeah. That was my gamer tag. Uh, and I started on YouTube doing video game stuff. It was mostly just playing Call of Duty with my friends. And and uh, I, I played way too much Call of Duty back when I was a young adult. And people would just, if you've ever played online video games, you know how it is. People just rage at you. People, uh, can I swear on this show? Is that yeah, okay? Yeah. <laughs> people talk a bunch of shit. You know how it is. And uh, this was like 2012. And I thought, man, some of these encounters are really, are really funny. I wish I had a way to record them. Hmm. And so I started doing that and that became like a, just a hobby multi-year project that I did probably 20, 2011 to 2013 or so, maybe into 14. And that, um, so back in the day, I didn't, I didn't see it in the context that I now do, but Microsoft, Sony, they all started 
cracking down and making it harder to communicate with people on Xbox and PlayStation and to record that. Mm. It was kind of a precursor for the sanitized internet that we're seeing now. And so that content became harder to make and uh, you know, eventually we all get older. So, (laughs) so call of duty, I still play sometimes, but not nearly to the, uh, to the degree that I used to, which is for the best. I have a better life now. So that's, that's, that's better. Um, but yeah, over, but that left my YouTube channel in kind of a weird spot. Cause it was like, well, I mean, I have this small corner of the internet audience. I don't want to quit, but I can't really make that stuff anymore. So I just started talking, you know, I just started talking about stuff that I thought was interesting news wise or politically. I've always been politically interested, but back then I was a, I was a, a, a good uh, Democrat voter, you know, mm. and uh, over time, uh, my views have changed on a lot of things, but but I've always been a free speech absolutist, or at least as close to an absolutist as you can be. And I've I've watched uh, a good portion of this country turn its back on that value, and that has led me to question other things that might be wrong. And uh, and here we are today. So it's it's all been just a hobby project turned into something that worked out. So mm. I'm very proud to have what I have and very happy with what I have. Hmm. That's interesting. Those are interesting origins. So then from there, you, uh, you sort of joined up with blonde Mm -hmm. and you got your first sort of arch nemesis, which was Derek. Uh, What is his name? Derek Chauvin or something? Uh, Oh, you're, you're thinking maybe Daryl Lamont Jenkins, Daryl Lamont Jenkins. That's the guy. That's the (laughs) guy. I was going to say, I've never met Derek Chauvin. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who's Derek Just Chauvin? Be, who's Derek Chauvin's the guy who uh, quote unquote killed George Floyd? <laughs> yeah, one of those people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, one of well, those people from the I, internet. I haven't, I haven't talked to Daryl for years, but yeah, what happened was, um, Blonde and I have done the show since 2016, and that summer when we started the show, we went to the Republican National Convention in Cleveland. That's actually the only time Blonde and I have ever hung out in real life. That was mm. it. That's the only time we ever have, which is kind of interesting. Um, because for a while there, we were like each, each other's only friends. <laughs> and we've kind of like destroyed our lives and rebuilt our lives together from afar, hmm. which is a weird thing to say, but it's it's worked out. Uh, but yeah, so we were there and we were just, we didn't go inside the convention. We didn't have press passes or anything, but we were just talking to people on the street. And this uh, <laughs> this strange man of size was following us around uh, just for like a couple days just kind of lurking in the background and actually someone tipped us off and said, Hey, you need to know who that guy is. He basically follows people, tries to spy on them and tries to ruin them. Hmm. And so I once, I had no idea who he is. And this is, this is 2016 me. This is happy go lucky me. This is, uh, this is kind of where, uh, you know, where a lot of my political views are changing, but I still consider myself kind of a, a lefty of sorts, like kind of aligned with that. And, and eventually I have to confront this guy because mm. he's just following us around being weird, like stalking us. And that led to that encounter where he, uh, he accused me of being like white supremacist adjacent or something right. like that. I can't remember what he said, but I remember at the time, like that was probably the first time in my life that anyone had ever sincerely called me racist. Mm-hmm. And it, and it kind of hurt, it you blew know, your world. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of hurt because, uh, I thought that I was one of the, the good lefties and, and that word had some meaning then right. like now it, it means nothing. It, it yeah. means absolutely nothing anymore. Right. 
but that uh, that's what happened there. And then Daryl would pop up and like he he never really did anything. He would appear mm-hmm. on Twitter to say some things from time to time. But I've, I really have had no Daryl encounters since then. Yeah, you've kind of been trying to bait Jarrett Holt a little bit, but that hasn't taken off. Uh, I always have, but it's not even bait. Like that guy is trying to ruin the careers of really everyone around me. And he, he doesn't, for whatever reason, he leaves me alone, but I still don't take kindly to trying to ruin the sphere in which I operate. Right. And I, and actually with Jared Holt, I've extended offers to talk with him many times. I, mm-hmm. I, it's not like a dunk thing. I'm not mm-hmm. interested in like owning Jared Holt. Right. I am interested in a conversation about why he thinks it's, of value to try to destroy free speech corners of the internet on behalf of George Soros foundations for whom he works Mm -hmm. and how he's the hero in that arrangement. Uh, and, and why he, at least in the way I interpret him views himself on such a higher moral plane, uh, than the rest of us. Cause we're all really peers and we're all doing somewhat similar things. I, but the difference is I would never try to get Jared Holt booted off the internet. Even though I hate everything he says, he can build an audience if he wants. I have no problem with that. He, if he had the delete key to me, my channel, my life, he would hit it. That's the difference between Jared Holt and, and me and the rest of this community. Right. Well, he attacks you according to your principles, but he has different principles that he holds himself to. Yeah. Well, I, and honestly, I, I don't even, that'd be an interesting part of the conversation. What are your principles? Mm-hmm. I, I can't figure it out. It's just people I don't like should be deleted. Right. Yeah. So you started to find that there were people that you were interacting with in the internet sphere. They were being restricted. Um, somewhere along the way, you like to me, one of the highlights of your career that I've observed is your interaction with Patreon when that whole thing went down. Mm. Uh, for me, that was a huge moment because Patreon had started to engage in what they were calling manifest observable behavior, but it was really just, it was ideological persecution. They were just attacking people that they disagreed with and they were going around trying to convince everyone that that's not what was happening. And you were one of the people that they reached out to because they wanted to keep you in their good graces. Yeah. Cause you're right. Rarely do I make the news, you know, and that's one, that's one reason I shy away from it and don't claim the title journalist. I'm not doing original fact finding, you know, I'm, I'm in the business of opinion making, um, assembling thoughts and analysis, that kind of stuff. Not in the business of, of investigation or original fact finding usually, except for when a rare opportunity like that presents itself and, yeah. So, so just to recap how that happened. So Sargon gets banned because what well, he said the N word or something. And that, that starts the whole Patreon uh, controversy and Patreon had been do- doing a bunch of damage control and they were sending out damage control emails. I received one of those emails and I had put out on Twitter something like, lol, look at this damage control email. What a bunch of whatever, like <laughs> laughing at Patreon. I had tagged Patreon in it. After that, that's when Jacqueline Hart, who was the head of the trust, I don't know if she's still there or not, but that was her name. She's the head of the trust and safety team at Patreon. And she reaches out and says, um, and says, yeah, we'd love to have a conversation with you about this to try to explain it to you. And so that you can understand what's going on with Patreon. And I thought, well, okay, why me? Why anything? But I thought I better take this opportunity seriously. I better, mm-hmm. I better put my thoughts together. I better have a list of questions. And I, I better hold their feet to the fire because these are people who 
just like Jared Holt and the rest, they want to delete my income on a moment's notice if they decide to. Yep. So I, so the interesting thing about the Patreon story too, was it, it looking back, it was at the time I realized it, but now I look back at it too. I mean, it was a pretty serious ethical dilemma because mm-hmm. Patreon went into that asking me to keep everything private. I, right. I was not supposed to record the conversation, which for legal purposes, I never did. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they asked me not to share any of the contents of the conversation. Hmm. And so admittedly, I had to lie to Patreon. I had to say, yeah, sure. Yeah, whatever. Right. And, and I had to, I had to lie to Patreon to get them to talk so that and I transcribed the conversation and I put it out there. And I, to me, the value of what they were saying to, to people like me behind the scenes, I, I just didn't see a distinction. What's the difference between me and the person who supports me on Patreon? And why mm-hmm. would you expect me to be loyal to you and not the guy who's giving me five bucks a month? Right. Why and would I want to screw that, him over? They can make that request of you, you know, to not record it or to not mm-hmm. disclose the conversation or anything. But it was, for me, it was one of those rare moments because like you were such a principled person that it was kind of like the closest I'd ever seen to you getting into that gray zone, into that gray area. Yeah. And you yeah. had to actually use like your discretion there. And I believe that you made the right choice. I don't regret it. I would do yeah. it again. Yeah. yeah. And uh, also for me, it was kind of like the first time we got to see some of these tech companies actually bleed. And I don't know if that was like lost on a lot of people, but for me, that was kind of like a huge cultural incident that occurred. Um, Did you like, did you get enough credit for what happened there? Uh, Yeah, well, I I know that a lot of people talked about it and that was very gratifying. And I also know that it bought it, it, to me, it was important to bring a lot of clarity to, to my Patreon community. I I want that thing that really bugged me about the Sargon situation was not just what happened to him on a free speech principled level. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that I was a Patreon supporter of Sargon and they just deleted his account and never said anything to me as a supporter of him. Yeah. And, and so I, to the extent that Patreon has its hands in the cookie jar, which it's their platform, they're entitled to do that. I'm not mad at them, but they do not care about, at least to me, it seemed like they did not care at all about the people actually putting money through their system. Mm-hmm. I, I, I couldn't stand for that. The whole thing was totally dishonest and it's, um, and so, and I, I left Patreon after that. I mean, mm-hmm. I made the decision to, to, uh, to lie to Patreon. I'll be blunt. I did. I lied to Patreon and then I, I bailed on Patreon the next month. And that was a very terrifying uh, point in, in my YouTube career too, cause you got to build something else and you got to hope that your audience comes over and, and supports you in that. Thankfully it did work out and pe- people, I know that the transcript that was out there was really useful for other people's analysis and to see what's going on at Patreon. And it ended up being beneficial for my channel too. Uh, I came out ahead on all that, you know, people mm-hmm. who still supported the channel came over to the new stuff I built and still supported the channel in that way. And there were a lot of people who, decided to support the channel just one time, you know, cause Hey, I appreciated this work. Um, thank you for getting the truth out there and, and, and move on. So overall it, it was, I think it was beneficial for everybody and I would do it again. Although I will admit that, you know, I, I, I take no joy in having to be a little deceptive and to break someone's trust in me. I don't want to break people's trust in me. That said, Patre- my view is Patreon did that to me and us first. Mm-hmm. 
And I would never do if Patreon had never done what they did to Sargon and Sargon supporters. I never, I never would have done that to them if they just came to me out of the blue and said, "Hey, we have some interesting new products at Patreon. We'd like to tell you about." Right. I'm not going to disclose that they didn't do anything to me. Right. But this was, in in my view, they harmed us first, and this was mm-hmm. sort of a, a an act of vengeance, if you will. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. certainly grateful that you took the action that you did, and I'm also grateful that it produced the. Um, the the v and sargon of akkad um, rereading of it (laughs) yeah the thing is i'm i'm the only one who knows what the conversation sounded like (laughs) and i can still i i really wish that people could have seen or or heard a recording of it because uh, there's so much dis there was just so much disbelief and frustration in my Mm -hmm. voice that's like you cannot possibly believe the things that you're saying yeah and she would stick with them. And so the, the my point is the reenactment was shockingly accurate to the <laughs> to the real thing. Yeah. So I consider that kind of a highlight of your career. Um, yeah. If I can talk about something that in in some ways I perceived it as a bit of a blemish, although oh, sure. in recent time, it like more recently, it seems like it's kind of getting smoothed over. And huh. um, what I'm referencing specifically is your initial clash with Revenge of the Sis. Oh yeah. 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 So revenge of the sis they're like they're friends of this channel. Um, they've been very supportive of me. I made kind of like a parody character that pretended to be an acolyte of Vox day that was telling them to like stay in their lane and back off. Yeah. Um, so they engaged with that content and it was friendly and everything. And, uh, I was a fan of, of both of you guys content. And then when that dispute came up, it was like, it was kind of like mom, dad, don't fight, you know? Um, (laughs) but, uh, it sounds like more recently now there's, you guys have kind of been talking behind the scenes and if there's certain, uh, legal pursuits you guys might take together because you're both in the same boat as it relates to Streamlabs, there might be opportunities there. Uh, yeah, I, I, on principle, what happened with Streamlabs is, is terrible and they are interested in, uh, in exploring some legal options. And I, I 100% will stand with anybody on that principle. Uh, that said, now, would I tell you that, uh, what happened on the revenge of the cis channel is like some, uh, achievement of entertainment or, or value of any kind? No. I mean, when I posted the recording of that on our own audio platforms, I said, listen, this is like, this is for only people who love cringe. Right. That's what it became. I'm not I'm not thrilled with the way I handled myself even. That said, I think that I was treated extremely unfairly by both of them. Yeah. I think I that agree. and and to me, listen, I understand what it means to make a show where you mm-hmm. say some shit. Okay. Right. It obviously that happens. I, I, I actually am not even mad about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if people didn't hear, they they had it, it this this goes all the way back to the can I say Eric Charmelis? <laughs> that's that's what happened was um, our stream was taken down because we said Eric Charmella on it when that whole whistleblower story was breaking. And the, that was the name of the whistleblower. And then YouTube got back to me and said, uh, we took down your stream because of a credible threat on someone's life. And I had mm-hmm. made a video that said, okay, YouTube is accusing me of a, of a quasi crime here, mm-hmm. but they're not calling the cops. That's really weird. And the Revenge of the Sis guys played segments of that video on their show. And then, um, and Mersh in particular had gone off saying that I don't stand up for anybody's free speech, but now that I'm under attack, now suddenly I'm upset, which of course is just, you don't watch my channel. Like my channel exists 
primarily about yeah. free speech or at least yeah. has for years. And I, like I said, I get it. I wasn't I'm not even mad that you talked shit or whatever, but uh, you know, people had emailed me about it. Okay. I thought, okay, let's go, let's go clear this up. Mm-hmm. What, what gets me going is when you stick your head in the sand and dig your heels in and insist, no, that, I, <laughs> that everything I said was actually true. So it became this bizarre conversation about, they, they they kept giving me like a checklist of people that I right. had to have defended or spoken with to achieve their their free to to meet their free speech purity test purity test yeah yeah it it was it was a really bizarre conversation and um uh, you know I I speaking honestly I don't have interest in in being friends with those guys uh, at all but they're in the same game uh, I I have. I have no ill will to their show. You know, if people want to watch their show and and enjoy it, that's great. I would never try to stop them from doing that. And obviously threats to, to their free speech on their show are also threats to free speech on mine. So we don't have to be best friends to potentially work together. And I'm not so petty that I would refuse any sort of, any sort of uh, mutual interest like that. Well, I think it really was important in that uh, it did, it did result in the big brain thumbnail of you. I actually like that one. I, like, I think, I, you know, I, I think that, uh, I think that was, yeah, I think that made me look good. I don't know. <laughs> um, so we're, we're kind of running short on time here. So maybe I'm going to kind of skip through a little bit. Okay. Um, you've since, you know, as a result of your show, um, you've, you've since gotten married. You're no longer, beauty in the beta because you've become an alpha Chad. Now it's the Matt and blonde (laughs) show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe if you can, if you can answer this very briefly, why do you think you haven't been canceled is being reasonable still enough to be able to shield people? Well, that's a good question. I mean, God knows I'm always searching for that hit piece. I'm just, I'm chasing after Jared Holt to do it, but he never will. And, uh, and Streamlabs was the first outright cancellation of our show that that we've uh, had, or at least outright banning of our show on a platform. Um, y- the big question is really YouTube in particular, because that's the place where I'm. I am surprised that we haven't been demonetized in the way other channels have for mm-hmm. doing and saying much less. Uh, I have been told by a few people, and I can't vet this because it's all anonymous. But people have told me, and if you believe it that there's someone or a group of people on the inside of YouTube who are friendly to my channel. Hmm. That's all I've been told. I don't know who they are. I don't know why, but I circumstantially, I kind of believe that because I I see my channel being able to, I say, get away as though we've committed crimes. We haven't, we're doing things that anybody should be able to do in my opinion. But I, what I am saying is I've seen uh, uh, um, channels of friends of mine who do very similar stuff get punished for much less. Yes. So I, I just tend to think that maybe there is someone or a group influential in the inside who's, who tends to give my channel a break for whatever reason. I have no idea why that is though. And I think like how you describe it there as if you're getting away from having done something wrong, like you're not, you're not doing anything wrong. Um, and it's great that this favor is being extended towards you. However, it's unfortunate that, 
there is this process where a kind of partiality is having to occur even in the first place, you know? Well, it, and it is insane. I'll, I'll, I'll be quick here. I know we're tight on time, but one, one way I know this is true, the differential treatment is not just because they treat friends of mine differently from me, mm-hmm. but for the clips on our, on our stream, I actually run all our clips on a, on a dummy channel, just mm-hmm. like a blank channel. So right. I can make sure they don't uh, trip the copyright bot or the community guidelines bot on YouTube. And I know that the stream's not going to get punished That's by really doing smart. that. But I've had, I've had uh, clips of say like Trump, Trump saying I won the election or something like that. Mm-hmm. I've had clips like that on the the dummy channel on the side that have earned strikes on those on those channels. Yet they're in my stream, totally fine. So uh, it, what there's if YouTube thinks you're you're a peon person with a small channel, right. They'll punish you if if it's me who has something of an established presence. They're like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Let him go. I'll, I'll give you, yeah, I'll give you a bit of insight into that. Um, I had a, I had a TikTok account that had, you know, a number of thousand, several thousand subscribers on it. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, Nick Fuentes was invading TikTok, TikTok cause he had been deplatformed from so many sites. And uh, just as a gag, he kept getting deplatformed from TikTok on all these burner accounts. And just out of a gag, I emailed him my login information. So he started streaming from my TikTok account uh. and um, they couldn't ban it. They could, it, or it took, it took like 24 hours for it to ban rather than all the other um, burner accounts that were just gone immediately. So once you're established, there's and that was the of, only difference is just that you had, you had some, uh, some followers on your account. I was in a certain tier. I had been around yeah. for a certain length of time and I had reached a certain level of success within its right. own mechanisms. Yeah. Well, yeah. And what I, I honestly just take that as an indicator of what I, I think that it, I don't know what TikTok situation is, but in, in my case, you know, th- my channel is generating some revenue for yes. YouTube. It's not, yes. you know, we're talking about Google. I'm not making or breaking Google, but right. You, it, it stands to reason they might have some checks on channels that contribute. Because if you do that over the aggregate, of course, you're, you are talking about thousands, potentially millions of dollars if you start right. axing those. Yeah, I think it's like if you're a big enough fish, it'll upset the ecosystem too much for them to want to have to deal with it. So they'll yeah. give more leeway and maybe there's more room for actual personal interface rather than just these algorithms blindly, you know, axing things. Sure. Yeah. Um, so again, in the, uh, kind of in the vein of being canceled and, um, I'm, I'm still in the middle of this process that's been going on for longer than six months. It's, um, it's related to government work. I'm not necessarily disclosing more than that. Um, but, uh, so here, here are my insights, Kate. Uh-huh. So the, the evidence that's being brought against me is purely on the basis of this YouTube channel that I have, right. The things that I talk about on here. And, mm-hmm. and you, you do this all like on camera, your name's attached to it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I just like, I just figured I'd go all in. Right. Right. So there's, so they just, they, your employer found your channel is basically what you're saying. Well, it started as a, as a thing similar to you where lockdowns happened and me uh-huh. and my friends were bored. We couldn't see each other. So we uh-huh. just started live streaming and I left it open so that other people could um, come in and have conversations. Right. right. Okay. So that strangers could, cause it's like, we wanted the same sort of environment of a pup where it's, you're having yeah. your conversations and people can interact if they want to. Um, and where the real crux of the issue was, was there was a lockdown protest in, in Vancouver around where I live. So I went mm-hmm. out to there and I just interviewed people on the street and just asked them why they were there. Mm-hmm. And um, because I engaged in like sort of, in a way, real world activism, 
hmm. and it, the manifest observable behavior, you could say. Um, so because I engaged in that on the street stuff and because of the people who I talked to, even though our conversations were completely reasonable, that trip, that tripped flags that then caused them to investigate what I was doing. And initially I was like, oh, well, that's just due diligence. Maybe some of the people that I talked to are questionable characters. That's fine. Hmm. Um, but very quickly it devolved into them auditing all of my online content that I've ever done. And some of it is like just really bizarre, really trolly. Uh, <laughs> they tried, you know, it's like I, I green screen myself into video games to tell this weird story about how Vox day is sending me after revenge of the sis. Like it's clearly okay. fictional, absurd yeah, stuff. Yeah. It's, it's absurdist humor, mm -hmm. but they were portraying that as if I was unironically platforming these beliefs. And so there's the idea of platforming and they have said that it doesn't matter whether or not you hold the belief that you are conveying for you to even portray the belief at all is a problem. So if I'm debunking an idea for me to explain the idea, in any case, that's the problem. So yeah, let alone steel man, like steel manning is a crime now. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah. So what I brought up is I was like, okay, well, so if I were to say that, if I were to say that the government condemns white supremacy, how have I not just platformed the idea of white people being supreme? I've just conveyed uh, that idea. Yeah. And it, yeah. Well, and that's the problem is that term is so ambiguous now that you kind of need to define it. But of course, if you were to define it, right. Uh, then I'm sure you're in big trouble. Right. So I have this stack of like evidence. That's all just misquotes and things. It's like, Oh, well, I was talking about what this other person said for the purpose of pulling it apart. Right. So anyway, we're all pretty familiar with the idea of platforming, but yeah. here's where it gets really dicey too, is that so when you agree to work with someone, there is what your job description is. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, in that process of whether or not they're extending the job opportunity to you or whether or not you're going to be hired, you're both mutually agreeing whether or not it's a good fit. That's what you're discerning. And if you both, if you both agree, then, you know, your job description is set. Now, mm -hmm what they're doing is they keep giving new training modules. They keep updating your training mm -hmm. and they'll be on things like, um, you know, like gender studies type stuff or intersectionality. And they're baking that into their kind of like, um, their human resources expectations, you could call mm -hmm. it. And for me, it's like, well, I don't agree with any of that stuff. I told you guys from the start that I disagree with it for you to give me these training modules about your views on gender identity is no different than if you were to sit me down and give me a training session on like Dungeons and Dragons lore, you know, like <laughs> you're. So, so you're saying you explained your views as like at the point of hiring or. Yes. Or... Yes. Oh, really? Because okay. what I said was I said that, um, I said that I was very concerned about the direction that our government was headed in as it related to certain issues. And oh, I wow. spelled out what those issues were. And I said, I don't want this to be a problem in the future. And they said, okay, well, we understand what your views are that that won't be an issue. And then a few years into the work, suddenly it it's an issue. And they get to, they get to constantly change and update what the new kind of like progressive passwords are. So now yeah. in all of our internal memos, they're supposed to be they pronouns instead of he or she. 
Oh. <laughs> well, that solves everything, I'm sure. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I can like, I can be a professional person, even though outside in my private life on my live stream on my show, I'm like a total goofball. But when I'm on the job, it's like I switch into a different place, I can Mm -hmm. be a professional person. Um, Up until then, it was like I was receiving all sorts of special acclimates for my work. Mm -hmm. Until this happened, then suddenly I'm the bad guy. And um, what they say is that so if they give these training modules, that doesn't require you to believe in the thing that they are training you in, right? Okay. However, it does place the expectation on what you are not allowed to talk about in your personal life outside of your work. Well, so, I, I mean, so that they're just actually seems untenable. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like they're buying not just the time that you spend at work. Right. but they also expect to be able to just give you a new muzzle every single time. They right. Which, which was training. not part of the, even in the implicit sense is not part of the bargain to the point that you're making it's, you know, your time is they buy the time that you're on the clock, but in your case, it was explicit. Uh, that, that's the first time I've ever actually heard of someone doing that because of course that sounds like such a gamble in the current job market that I could envision a situation where you are the perfect candidate for the job, but you explain to the employer that you might have slightly unorthodox, edgy political views. And I don't even know if that who just non woke leftist views exactly. How about that. And I, I mean, I, I'm surprised that they agreed to hire. Well, I have no idea who the employer I guess is, but that's a, that's a bold move, but it, it's probably the right one. At least it's the right one. Cause then you, you know, that you're uh, getting into a job that in theory will at least respect uh, your freedom to hold the views that you do. But also if it, if it comes back around in the way this one has, you can point to that and say, no, we agreed to this mm-hmm. at the time of my hiring. And you are now in breach of that agreement. Uh, so what's the status now? Are you trying to keep this job? Are you, do you want to move on? What do you want to do? So um, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm suspended with pay. Uh, They're conducting their investigation. I mean, it was only one, I have multiple streams of income. So it was something that I was kind of minimally involved in on the part-time level. Okay. Um, So I have, you know, I, my livelihood is fine. I'm, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. Um, However, the concern that I have is that I'll be branded with this I'll be branded with this permanent record saying that I'm this hateful person that will mean that I can never engage in any sort of government work from here out. And with all the COVID stuff, they're just restricting the private sector entirely. And everyone is going to end up with government jobs, especially here in Canada, Mm. you know, like we're, we're turning into a communist state. It's really alarming. It's, it's crazy. So, you know, what right now, maybe right now I would be like, okay, I'm not too bothered by the prospect of losing this job. However, this could hamstring me in the future just because they decide to misquote me. So you're thinking this is even above the job itself. It's a fight to clear your name, basically. Yes. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Good God. How how long is this process supposed to go? <laughs> just We're in sort of the final stages of it. Okay. Two weeks to uh, decide your fate, uh, which well, turns into two years or something like that. I'm effectively debunking the um, packet of information that they gave me. I have, you know, maybe a couple more weeks, a deadline to debunk the, all the evidence. And then they'll review whether or not they feel that my, um, 
debunking is sufficient because yeah I, so it's they when they it's your boss who makes that decision then there's not some arbiter or something like that who's well they build the systems like it like it's not anyone who i know or anyone who knows any of us who are making any of these decisions okay it's completely All right. compartmentalized. Well, that's, that's a little better then maybe sure yeah um i mean some of it is like it's still a bit of a farce because it's still their people yeah, until the pink-haired uh, gender studies major lady walks in and says she's the one deciding the case. Well, and at a certain point, they're all promoted into the positions that they're in because they're the pink-haired lady. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, good good for you for fighting the fight, though. This is, um, I, I can't tell you, in, in our community, in our stream, when we do our call-in streams and when we take questions from the audience, so many of them are about uh, situations where sort of like this, maybe not firings, but just suppression of ideas and speech within the workplace or the school and people wondering, what do I do? Do I keep my head down and get through it? Do I fight? Um, how should I do this? And and I don't think there's any one right answer because I think it really depends on how much influence you you wield. Right. You know, if you're if you're the freshman at um, at college, you might want to you might want to just kind of go along to get along for now. But if you're the person on the cusp of a promotion or maybe you're the person sitting in a position of power, maybe mid-level, something like that. Once you have a little bit of uh, of of influence to wield, we, we mm -hmm. have to get into these institutions and having these fights. So right. I'm really I'm, I'm glad to hear that that you're taking on that fight and at least not laying down for it. Um, and who, because who knows, maybe you inspire somebody else to do the same. And right. you might not see, you might not see justice or gratification in this particular instance, but someone will watch mm -hmm. and they'll, they'll learn the lesson the next time around. And that's, God, that's, I, I, for now, I think that's the best we can do is just is have those fights and keep trying to change minds one at a time. I know people get frustrated because you don't see that victory now that mm -hmm. everybody wants, but it is sort of a, it is sort of a slow fight and we gotta, we gotta keep making it. Yeah. And for me, like the, the objective for me was never to win this whole altercation. Yeah. Like if I wanted to just lay low, have a professional career, be promoted, that'd be, that would have been a whole different ball game, but mm -hmm. that wasn't the reason that I've engaged in a lot of the content that I have and a lot of the decisions that I've made. Um, yeah, but just that, that particular insight about how they can update new training procedures and that then gets to dictate what you're allowed to say outside and how, Maybe they're not changing your job description per se, but they expect to have those sort of influences and to be constantly updating them in your real life. Yeah, that's, yeah. I think that's new. Hmm. Um, anyway, the, yeah. we're, we're kind of out of time here. I have just a list of rapid fire questions. I'm okay. going to ask them all and you choose if you want to answer any one of them at the end. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Go for it. Okay. So is there any merit to the accusation of you being milk toast? Are you mm. extreme enough? Why aren't you extreme? Have you considered joining ISIS? If you want a hit piece, why don't you just move to Canada? It's super easy. The government will pay for multiple entities to investigate you while they pay you to sit at home and try and convince them that you're not racist. It's a burgeoning new industry, a gold rush. I tell you a gold rush. If you were starting your channel today, do you think it would be possible for you to get as far as you are? Or do you think systems are already in place for, to keep someone like you from rising up? Mm. Uh, are you black cube or sorry, are you black cube pilled? If not, why not? Which of our wives would win in a rap battle? 
Uh, aside from this conversation, what is the highlight of your career so far? What's too far? What's the line that you won't cross? What's the topic? What's the principle? Where's the line where you agree that someone should be deplatformed? Because merely deferring to the laws of the land uh, appear to no longer make sense. Um, why are you a bigot? Desmond just wants to be on drugs and dance on stage for the pleasure of grown adult men. Uh, who are you to deny, to deny his heart's desire? Is Desmond alive? Can we get a welfare check on Desmond? I have not heard anything from Desmond for a little while. So any of those questions um, you feel like fielding? Uh, the one that's most interesting to me uh, is, is about starting now. And this is also a situation that we talk about with our audience a lot. Uh, do I think that I would be able to build the audience that I have if I started if I started that path today? Absolutely not. Hmm. For For many of the reasons that I referenced earlier where... You can post material that's just fine on my channel as it exists, but if you were to post it on a channel with no subscribers, it gets deleted and banned. Mm -hmm. And in not only that, but just the algorithmic suppression. I mean, my, my channel has basically been cast, and a lot of my online presence has been cast into a dark shadow corner of the internet where you either know about it or you don't. Right. People send me screenshots all the time where they search my name on YouTube, or if you search my name on Twitter, I don't exist. Like you have to, you have to know the URL. Okay. Stuff like that. So, uh, it, it is, it is frustrating because of course, obviously I want, I want my own channel to succeed on what I hope are its own merits, but it's not just a selfish thing. There are a lot of people out there with incredibly interesting things to say or incredibly, uh, useful information to present. And that was the great thing about YouTube in the past was anybody with compelling material could go from no audience yesterday to to a big audience in the mat as as short as a day, a week, a month. Um, if you if you got the right message at the right time, you could really catch that viral wave because YouTube was saying, "Hey, people are liking this video, commenting on it, engaging with it." That's pretty much all we need to see to start putting it out there for more people to see. Now. Uh, if you don't think or speak in approved ways, you are in the corner and technically you can have a channel. You will just not, you will not get any sort of uh, internet promotion from these people. You have to rely on word of mouth. So it just really bums me out to know there's a lot of talent that's being buried. It doesn't mean that it's insurmountable. It doesn't mean you can't start a channel today. It just means that you have to prepare to climb a much steeper mountain than, uh, than existed before. And I, and I hope, I wouldn't want to discourage anybody who has a passion for this from getting into it. Cause if you enjoy it for its own sake, you absolutely should just like any other hobby out there. Uh, and I, I, I think the best thing I can say is I think we're in a weird intermediate spot right now between YouTube's suicide and whatever is on the other side of it. YouTube, YouTube suicide for independent content like this. YouTube will probably still exist as the new home of CNN and MSNBC right. and all that. And you can watch that if you want. It'll be basically like the new cable package will be right. YouTube. And then for, you know, weird opinions from some guy's bedroom, which is what a lot the whole reason that people go on YouTube in the first place, that'll be somewhere else, something else. And I have faith that that's going to happen because as much as they delete all of us, uh, we all still have an appetite for that content. There's still demand for that content. It's just a question of where it's hosted. And I loved that it was all in one centralized place on YouTube where you could have just a nice clean list of everyone you enjoy and watch them in order. And now it's a little more scattered. But um, 
that you know so we're in a weird spot right now between youtube and whatever that next thing is i hope it's sooner rather than later but rome wasn't built in a day you know to build what google and youtube have uh have in terms of their their uh, their technical capabilities in terms of their resources. It's going to be a little while, but the demand is there. So it, it will take shape. Uh, but if you're getting, you know, it's just, if, if you're getting started today, be prepared for a long, slow grind as opposed mm-hmm. to instant immediate gratification. Cause that in all likelihood is not coming. Well, thank you for your insights, Matt. Uh, let's, let's call our interview there. Sure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.